When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Race is on, and F1 2022 is finally here for real with the first day of pre-season testing in the books and McLaren starting out on top of the timesheets. But lap times can be misleading in pre-season. So what did we really learn from the first day of running and who has really started well? I'm Ed Straw and joining me to answer those questions and many more are Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes. Before we get going, this is the first of our daily testing podcasts so you'll be able to catch up with us at the end of each day to find out what's been going on and you might even hear a little bit of hotel ambience in the background as we're uh, as we're recording just to give you a sense of place so before we get into it quick rundown times wise all 10 teams are out a total of 16 drivers Lando Norris set the pace with a 1 minute 19.568 second lap ahead of Charles Leclerc who said a 1 minute 20.165 second we'll pick up some of the other times later on but first Mark you went out trackside today. We've been waiting for these new cars for for years. So what did you make of this new generation of Grand Prix cars after so many years of anticipation? They are very different. They're very different from what went before. And they're quite different from each other, even in the behaviours. We've observed that they look different to each other. And we were quite surprised the extent of that, which was true. But they, they are um, they're behaving quite differently at the moment, as I guess you'd expect at the first day of running of a completely new sort of set of aero regs. But, um, yeah, there was a – even before Lando set that fast time, you know, with a bit of a glory run at the end of the day, um, I'd, I'd gone out in the morning and uh, he, he did – that car did look very good, at particularly through turns two and three. And there you've got – if you can picture it, the the left-right, so you, you – you, You've gone out on the curb of the left-hander, the early part of the curb, but then you've got to sweep back across the track to the left. And usually if the car's not that good, it, it can't really get as far enough as the, across the track as you'd really want to to get a, a wide line into three. Um, but that one could, and it, it was it was noticeable. Now, you know, it might have just been they were running lower fuel than the other cars or they had a better set of tyres on or whatever. We, we don't know. But it was running at the same time as a Ferrari and a Mercedes. Oh, you assume that it was a respectable uh, level of comparison and it did look the quickest thing through there um so it, it looked a nice car looked a nice balanced car looked had a lot of grip and looked as though lando had a lot of confidence in it instantly um the ferrari leclerc was very very attacking in in the way he was using that car it looked very confident in it straight away um but where they're so different from the old cars was through the slow section the chicane at the end of the lap so it's almost like they've got a speed range. Where if you get below it and those underbodies, Venturi's aren't working um, as, as well as they do at high speeds, you get to a, a place where the car's just not as good as it was last year. And it was noticeably, even I would say even the fastest cars this year were visually slower than the slowest cars of last year through the chicane section and there. Um, turn is it thirteen? The this sort of medium speed right hander that leads onto that little chute that goes down the chicane. 
every car was understeering quite a lot through there. So it's 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 almost as though that speed of that corner is uh, below the threshold at which they're properly working, and then they were even slower into the, 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 the you know the Mickey Mouse bit at the end. So um, that quite distinct because the, their behaviour through the fast corners looked very very impressive, and they were arriving at the fast corners looked very very impressive, and they were arriving at the fast corners faster as well. Now, Gary, if I bring you in on this, obviously Mark's watched Trackside a lot today. We've mainly had you staring at cars today. You'll be out Trackside tomorrow. But from what Mark said, it's not completely out of line with what we expected from this generation of cars with them being ground effect cars, is it? No, it's not. I mean, whenever you consider the, the last year's car, they had a big flat floor area, but the main, um, the main sort of low pressure area was at the front of the floor and just at the kick at the front of the rear tyre. So you got downforce front and rear from that floor, and obviously there was cars running high rake last year, which meant the front of the floor worked harder, and it worked harder in uh, low-speed corners because the the rear of the car got higher, so the front wing came down, and the front of the floor worked harder. So that was all such you know the package for last year. This year's cars, the 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 floor area, the throat of the floor, is actually about the the this rearwards just of the centre of the car. To be honest, it's about where the centre of pressure on the car is. So the 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 negative, pre- the low pressure underneath the car will be more balanced front and rear. Um, so it replaces a load of front wing downforce because we've gone from sort of five elements to four elements to a simpler front wing package. So it replaces quite a bit of the front wing downforce. So as the car slows down, the ride height increases, the sides of the floor leak more, more air gets underneath the car, so the car produces less downforce. So it's a spiral, I think, to, to having less grip and because it's a, a very important part of the the main downforce of the car, it's it, you know the cars will understeer a bit. So I think it's all in line with this type of regulation for a ground effect car. You know, in the old days, the ground effect cars we had were were a huge diffuser, very long throat, um, you know, forward of the driver, even very long side pods. But this is a completely different package with a high leading edge to allow more. Uh, turbulent airflow to go underneath the car and not have as big an effect on the underfloor. So a very different ground effect package, but I would expect that it will end up with low speed, less grip overall, and probably because it's theoretically generating more of the front downforce, more understeer. So not uncommon, but I, I'm going to go out tomorrow and have a look as well to see if I can see the same as Mark. But uh, I'm impressed with them in general as far as you know, the amount of laps he did and all that sort of stuff. So I think it, you know, everybody come away from today, you know, pretty happy with the miles got on the cars. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. You just saying, don't know what Mark's talking about. Doesn't know what he's looking at. But Mark, to zero in on one specific driver. You had a very interesting observation about Max Verstappen. Said he was basically driving like classic Alan Prost, super smooth, keeping everything nice and stable. And that's telling us a lot about probably what these cars in general, and maybe specifically the Red Bull, require. It was quite stark watching how he was. Totally unlike the body language of a, of a typical Max Verstappen, you know, which is usually quite high energy, particularly in the slow corners. Um, he wasn't like that at all. It was super smooth. He was early on the brakes, but very early and progressive on the power, very smooth on the steering. And it was complete contrast, not only to how he normally drives, but how Leclerc was driving the Ferrari today. Um, and it, it, I did wonder if he's maybe been um, practicing in the simulator and, and found that the the way that the car works best is to not change the right height or the the rake and the angle of the car to keep that to an absolute minimum and try and drive within it like that. And it did look as though he was he had a 
um, almost driving to a formula, and it was it was very unlike anything I've ever seen before. It was almost like Jensen Button, but even smoother. A corner going on, very, you know, a long time, but very smooth, high momentum, and just keeping the car level. Yeah, I think it, it will be a bit of that, to be honest. You know, these these cars, obviously, with the, with the ground effect, it's about not standing standing them on on their end because obviously the the, the sides of the floor are now down at the uh, same height as the as the middle part of the floor of the car so it's important that you keep that sealed as much as possible but also the fact that the with the 18 inch rims and these tires you know that's all done to get a better uh tread belt i suppose you might call it a flatter tread belt onto the ground but also there's less compliance between that tread belt and the rim um, there's less space for compliance you know we saw last year many times the last few years uh, on many occasions you saw the tires moving around on the rim dramatically if you had a curb or something that really won't happen this year so I think the tyres themselves require you to be nice to them um, and keep them within the slip angle because if you go above the slip angle, I think they'll they'll snap pretty quickly and give up. But up to that point, they'll have more grip than last year's tyres. So it's a, it is a balancing out between being aggressive and getting away with it as or being smooth and looking after the car and the tyres and making sure you're getting the best out of it. So I can understand the two different styles and I think they probably end up at the same lap time but maybe for a limited amount of laps, I think if you're aggressive with them, I don't think you'll you'll keep doing that every lap. I think you, you'll have to tidy it up a little bit just to keep the car underneath you and keep the tyres alive. So you've put Charles Leclerc at one end of the spectrum, driving style-wise today, Max Verstappen maybe at the other. Is everyone else kind of all over the map in between that, or do we see a cluster more towards one end or the other? Yeah, generally. Orlando look very smooth and high momentum as well. Um, not quite as extreme as Max. But yeah, generally... Um, a lot of the cars looked as though they weren't able to generate the sort of um, mid-corner grip of the of, of the top cars. So there was um, things like the, um, uh, the, the the Williams and um, was was there was another car that stood out as maybe didn't look as easy. It's always great when you've got in mind what the car was doing. You can't remember which one it was. Yeah, what, what car it was. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but um, yeah, the, the, but Max was definitely the most extreme and, and Charles was at the other end. I think that's you know, one of the things that Lando's been going on about uh, lately is the fact that he might have to get his head around a different driving style. I think the McLaren in, in the, for the past few years has, or with his experience in the McLaren, only in the McLaren, um, it's it sort of drove him into a, a sort of driving style that was a bit different, but he has done quite a lot of simulation work. So I think he has, like as you were saying, about learned how to drive it, um, you know, mathematically, I suppose, how it should be driven, and probably practicing the better that. And I think it's probably coming out in him as to the fact that you know it's actually quite good to drive a car that's doing the things that a driver wants it to do, and you don't have to hustle it to make it do the things you want it to do. And, you know, that might be a good omen for Daniel Ricciardo. He was obviously a bit lost in the McLaren last year as far as getting on top of how to drive it. But if this this year's car is a bit more um, benign to driving it neatly and tidily and keeping it underneath you, then I think Daniel could, uh, could you know, step back up again. But Mark, the thing that people are really going to want to know is, are these cars just good to watch? I know day one of testing, they're always a little bit tentative, not quite dialed in. But are these cars interesting exciting and, and potentially better to watch than last year's well so far i'd say yeah i mean there's a bigger difference in their behavior through the lap but um they look pretty exciting through the fast stuff at um turn nine camps at the top of the hill um what watching them through there they, they are approaching that visibly faster than they were before and it's still pretty much flat out 
but it, you, you are sort of taken aback a bit at the speed when they, when they come through there. You, you sort of, a bit of an intake of breath when you first encounter it. Um, George Russell came through there pretty much flat on a set of cold tyres and had a big old twitch as he as he came out. It looks quite dramatic. You've seen a, you know, seen a, a driver fight for control at those sort of speeds. Um, but next lap through, he, he was pinned and the car just took it because the tyres had warmed up. But it gives you an idea that it's getting towards the the edge uh, at those speeds. And it, yeah, they're, 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 I just like the, the, certainly in these early stages, the variety, the variety of different car behaviours that we're seeing, different driving styles that we're seeing. So yeah, I would say these, look, these are um, interesting cars to observe. Gary, what's it actually like when you're first running a car that is to very different regulations? I guess this is such a massive reg change, as everyone keeps saying. You probably didn't go through such a big reg change, but you did go through some pretty substantial ones. So how difficult is it when you're trying to get a handle on new cars? Or is it the game just so different by the simulation that tools that they've got means that even though this is the first official day of testing for drivers, really they've already logged thousands of laps and teams have built so much knowledge already? Yeah, it is. I mean, the, the tools are just so incredibly more sophisticated than they were back in my day. Uh, and that that leads you to understand the car, but it also leads you to to arrive at the track with a setup that functions pretty much. I mean, that's one of the things you can see between the, the top teams and the and the not-so-top not so teams um, is the fact that the guys at the front always arrive and they're just bish-bash boys three laps and they're on the pace. So... That's changed dramatically, but obviously designing a new car to any regulations, you're always there a little bit, tiptoes, just fingers crossed and, and hoping it all functions. And, you know, I'll go back a few years, 96 to 97, whenever we had uh, Ralph Schumacher, and our 96 car wasn't the, the best in the world by any means. Um, and we had Ralph at Jerez testing, uh, just getting mileage really, on the 96 car in the winter of, of 96. And uh, our 97 car showed up. And in theory, it should have been something about one and a half seconds faster, just from the pure fact that it was you know, a much better car wind tunnel wise. And uh, Ralph got in it within three laps. He was, I think, it was one point three seconds quicker. And that's sort of the confirmation that you that you want to get that every, all the work you've done is is correlating. I mean, we didn't have a new car regulations at that point in time, but we had wind tunnel data that showed the car should be that much quicker. And got to the track, and it was that much quicker. And the driver comes in, and he's got a smile on his face, and you think, "Yeah, this is going to be all right," you know. So that's with any new car, regulation change or not, you want to make sure that what you theoretically think you're going to get out of it, you actually do get out of it. And that's what the teams have been working on this test: is more more to get correlation between what they think and what they're getting, because that's important to set the development program and the development direction. If you just blindly develop the car, you can just dig holes for yourself. So. It's important to get a good correlation between the wind tunnel and the track performance, and then you know where you're going to go to. And one car, Mark, you have mentioned in passing George Russell having a bit of a moment in the Mercedes. That's the other car that people will be really interested to know how, how it looks. It looks like a very nice, tidy package, but how does it look when it's moving? It, it looks okay. It looks it looks okay, but without knowing whether it's got the same set fuel loads and things it didn't look as good as the mclaren through turn three for example turn two and three um it looked drivable it looked well behaved but it, it didn't sort of take your breath away not this not that, that probably means anything at this early stage but no on track it didn't look as good as the mclaren for example 
And we can see the Mercedes drivers, George Russell was fourth fastest, Lewis Hamilton was fifth fastest, slotting in behind Carlos Sainz. They did a lap within about a tenth and a half of each other, Russell and, and Hamilton, so all on the same programme. Mercedes always have quite quiet initial days. They do a lot of laps. The car looks fine, but nothing spectacular. So this looks like a good solid first day for Mercedes. How about, Mark, people who are struggling a little bit? We saw Alpha in the garage an awful lot today. Haas had some problems. They had a few sensor problems. They had a cooling leak, I think, in the morning that meant they had to take the floor off and uh, took a while to, to change it. So a few teams not perhaps as strong out of the box as they'd have hoped. Yeah, uh, Williams definitely won. Alpha had a recurring problem. We don't know exactly what it is yet, but it was the same problem uh, twice. And also it's it, we've got this... Every team was reporting that they're struggling with the porpoising of the cars at high speed at the end of the straights. Um, but the Alpha, it seemed particularly severe on the Alpha. And we're hearing that it had such a severe case of it when it tested at Fiorano that it damaged the floor. Um, and actually, there's a lot of cars seem to be damaging floors today. There's a lot of new floors going on up and down the pit lane. But uh, interesting that they're all complaining of the same thing. And they're all saying, we didn't see this in simulation. It's caught us out a bit. Well, there we go. That's correlation, isn't it? Porpoising, Gary. Give us a quick explainer. Well, porpoising is really whenever the um, the car gets near the ground, something uh, in there, the airflow separates on some part of it, and it reduces the downforce enough for the... If you reduce the downforce so that it goes to less downforce, then the car will rise up, and then it will start making downforce again, and it will suck back down, and then it will stall, and it will rise up, and it will stall. So you want to try and compartmentalize, compartmentalize any airflow separation problems you have with the front wing or with the underfloor or wherever it's happening at so that you never actually go to a negative on the downforce. You, you're you always still either gaining downforce at a slower rate or uh, it's linear. You just don't get any more downforce, but you don't go below that so that the car will find its happy medium and just sit there. Um, that's not easy to do, but we are hearing some things about the fact that whenever they use a DRS, it uh, suffers less. And that means the rear of the car comes up a bit whenever you use DRS because you get less load in it. That also mean, that means that the, the ground clearance is a bit more um, at the back of the car underneath that throat area of the floor. So it looks like it's in that area um, because at that point in time, the front wing goes down. So you're, um, you know, you're not stalling the front wing because these front wings are a bit higher anyway. But because it goes down and it doesn't increase the problem, then it's, it's not the front wing. So it could be the the um, the fact the right height comes up a little bit and it decreases the performance of the underfloor, but also the sides of the floor will leak more airflow, so the, the diffuser in its in effect will work less efficiently, so you'll get less downforce. So I can I can make sense out of all that, um, and the, and the reasons for it. It's just the fact of whether it's the diffuser or whether it's the the height of the floor. It's probably a bit of both. Um, you, you wouldn't want to make a diffuser less powerful because that would just lose your overall downforce, which you don't want to do. Um, and you wouldn't want to keep the car higher because it'll mean it'll leak more through the sides and lose your performance, so that you don't want to do that. So I think you have to come to terms with the with the with where the stalling is happening and try and contain that stall or try and reduce that stall to a level that, it, as I say, the, the downforce doesn't go to a lesser number. It always increases at a lesser rate or... It stays linear. I think you get on top of it. I mean, the old ground effect cars had the same problems, just more dramatic because the centre of pressure of them was right forward. So the front of the car just bounce up and down like you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe. As Gary said, Mark, this is a thing of the ground effect cars, isn't it? We saw this in the past. Do you think this is going to be one of the defining battles 
for teams, particularly those who are struggling initially, because especially if this is something that simulation hasn't always thrown up, it's going to be quite a big thing to understand if you've got a really pronounced problem, isn't it? Yes, and I guess there's going to be a spread of how quickly they sort it out. I, I would imagine it's, it's sortable. It's just a matter of understanding it. But the interesting thing, and I think Gary's got a bit of insight into this, is why they weren't seeing it. Nobody saw it in simulation, and uh, there's probably a good reason for that. Yeah, I mean, it is impossible in a wind tunnel to run the car into the ground. Now, we see these cars making sparks, and that's because they hit the ground. Do that in the wind tunnel, just wipe the model out down the back of the wind tunnel or tear the belt to pieces. So, you know, you can't do that in the wind tunnel, so you have to keep a, a, a clearance, and that clearance is enough for the separation to, sh to not show up, basically. However, the thing is, you you know, uh, one of the things I've always sort of done is to try and plot the, the hysteresis of the of the floor, because if you can get the car to within a, a millimeter or two millimeters um, of the wind tunnel belt, then just move the car back up again at a very slow rate and see where, how the downforce recovers, and that can pinpoint of, of uh, uh, the area where you might just be getting airflow separation. Uh, it hasn't. It isn't happening completely because you can't make the car hit the ground, um, but it is basically still there, and you have to sort of analyse past the point that you're getting data, and you have to have a bit of a gut feel as to where it might be happening and how you can uh, how you can cure the problem. So, again, even with CFD, you know, you've got in theory you got one stationary surface and and one model surface of the car, and uh, you know it doesn't give you factual results. So when you go to the simulator. It shows no problem with that, um, but when you get to the track, it shows a, a big problem. As I say, if you've if you've actually got a big problem here with the track temperatures and ambient temperature that we've got now, and the fact that Barcelona is not that bumpy, it's not smooth by any means, but it's not that bumpy. When we get to some of these bumpier tracks and higher higher track temperatures and higher ambient temperatures, then the problem will just multiply by ten. So. Uh, now's the time to recognise it and try and identify it and try and solve it, and maybe even F one have to. You know that wrote the regulations with the FIA. Maybe they even have to sort of think about it a little bit to to bring something in that will allow everybody to develop something that will help it. Because these regulations are are new and they're responsible for them. And this is a a problem that's been created by the regulations, not by each individual team's um, ability to to build a car to those regulations. So there might be a chance that the FIA and F1 have to come in and allow them to put some small vortex generators in, in the underfloor somewhere. You know, I don't know what it would be, but there's there's a solution to the problem, but everybody has to solve that problem. This is going to evolve over the next few days of testing, so we'll see who gets these problems under control and who really seems to be uh, struggling. Mark, we'll try and just mention everyone. Sixth fastest was Sebastian Vettel today in Aston Martin. He split the running He split the running with, with Lance Stroll. Any feeling on the Aston Martin working okay? Yeah, it looked tidy enough. It um, looked quite similar to the Mercedes, actually. And how it funny was, that? Yeah, in how it was, um, was how it was behaving. Um, yeah, it looked like you, you, Seb was quite confident in it. Uh, looked pretty good through the fast stuff, and not unduly bad, no worse than anybody else in the slow stuff. So it looked a tidy car. And Alpha Tauri, Gary, Yuki Sonoda, seventh fastest, 1 minute 21, 638 seconds. We had a chat to Jody Eggington, the technical director, earlier today, who was uh, very interesting. They seem relatively happy with things. Everything's kind of working as it should there, I think. Yeah, I think it's true. Um, they're fairly content with where they got to. I mean, they're using the rear end package of the, the Red Bull, so that's relieved quite a substantial percentage of the car design group to do other stuff. 
So you'd imagine that it helps make a small team bigger, I suppose you might call it. Um, they've stuck with their own solution to the front suspension, uh, retaining the push rod. They've got a slightly different nose assembly to the others, where they've raised the centre of the nose up a little bit and the, raised the centre of the front wing up a bit. Um, and the nose itself hangs down below it. That's really the only car that's doing that at the moment. But again, his, his feet's on the ground. The team's feet are on the ground at the minute. They know that they're, um, in reality, it's, it'd be very lucky if they're going to compete with the, the, the guys right at the front. But they, they know where they stand at. And I think their objective would be to get into the top six and qualifying at least um, on a lot more occasions. And from there on then, then you know, you can score good, good solid points. But they know it's going to be a, a, a tough and windy road before they get to that level. But it's going to be a tough and windy road for everybody because the, the developments are going to be thick and fast. Um, there's you know two more days here to go. And that's all about recognising the car. There'll be very few developments appear here. But then you've got to make sure you've got a package of bits coming for the bar, uh, the Bahrain test and then for the Bahrain race weekend. And those bits have all got to address your shortcomings. Uh, there's no point in just putting them on as, as, as I say, as uh, parts that you don't really understand. They have to address your shortcomings. So it's the planning for the development direction is, is critically, critically important. How about Williams, Mark? Latifi and Alex Albon split the running, 66 laps. Each for them, Albon was the, the quicker of the two, 11th fastest, 1 minute 22.760. Oh, they doing okay? Yeah, it didn't look bad. It just like, didn't have the same mid-call. It would sometimes seem to give up mid-call, like turn four. Some, like there with combined traction and, and, and lateral, it, it seemed to give up a little bit earlier than, um, say, a McLaren or a, even a Mercedes or a Ferrari. But it, it, didn't, look, it didn't look bad. It looked drivable. It didn't look out of, out of bed. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? First day of testing. So many cars are just sort of running pretty well and no massive problems. Obviously, Hass and Alpha, I guess, were the, were the outliers in terms of the trouble they had. So, I mean, Gary, when it comes to what teams have been doing today, if things have gone smoothly and you've not hit a big problem with porpoising or whatever, you'd have tried to run through all your correlation work. So how far advanced will teams have got and what will be on the agenda for day two? Well, on the first day, you'll have also a lot of sensors on the car to try and understand it a bit more, both uh, aerodynamic sensors, picking up body pressures all around the car, um, but also system sensors here and there to pick up, you know, the the increase or decrease in water temperatures going through the system, oil pressures, back pressures in the system, all that sort of stuff. So a lot of that will come off tonight, and the 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 aerodynamic sensors will probably move into a different area. Now they've recognised the problems from today, they'll look at the areas they want to get more information on tomorrow, um, because they are just little pitot chips, so you can sort of shuffle them around the car as best you can. So I think tomorrow you'll see teams... Uh, be a little bit more performant because they won't have the same amount of of uh, system checking going on, but also the fact that they will be trying to understand the car, you know, the next step of the car, because today was the first step up the ladder. Now tomorrow you've got to try and take the second step up the ladder. And then it, so it goes on. And every day, if you can take that step and understand the car a little bit more, you can maybe build in some more uh, robustness or resilience to the problems like the porpoising. So it's all just a learning curve and every day you learn a bit more so that's just what's going to happen over these only six days pre-season testing you know i love that they got all these simulations and stuff but as we found out today you know they're they're good to a certain level but they really don't out and out pinpoint what makes the car really quick and uh there's no team out there that has a 100 percent out of every part of the car on it you know as you say the top teams the guys at the front are no more than the guys at the back, but that's still only 90%, so you've still got 10% you can 
screw up on. And uh, that could happen very quickly. And while the two teams we've mentioned are, are struggling, Alfa Romeo, I think Kibitza managed nine laps in the morning, Bottas 23 laps and also Haas 43 laps in total, as well as that cooling leak I mentioned. Mick Schumacher, I think, had some floor damage in the afternoon that, that restricted his running. Did you actually see much of those cars going? <laughs> no, I didn't see the Alfa at all. It was um, in, in the morning and um, it wasn't during one of Robert's nine laps. And the Haas, yeah, I saw Mazepin go around in the Haas. It, it, it looked okay, but it looked like um, he was in and out of the pits quite a lot. So um, nothing really to, to compare in, directly. Yeah, I just wanted to sort of run through everyone, give everyone a mention. This is very much the sort of foundation day one, isn't it? So basic impressions, and we'll start to get a little bit more into pace, etc., in the future. But everybody, their fastest lap times, a reasonable spread, the slowest. Robert Kubitsu hardly did any laps at 25.9, but that wasn't remotely representative. The quickest Haas lap was a 22.9. So everybody's kind of all right, not doing not doing too badly. But overall, I think you've had different perspectives of the first day. Bit of a thumbs up for F1 2022, for those who can't watch at home because it's not on uh, live coverage. Do you think the F1 on first impressions, the rules for this year, are on the money? Yeah, I think they're... Um in the ballpark and um, there's promise of a lot more to come and um, you know I think what I'd like to see a bit more of as the teams get more running is to see them running close together and and see if the actual object of the whole reason behind this change um, has been achieved and we didn't really see that today so there was a little moment where um, Verstappen was catching Alonso and I thought oh this would be quite interesting but Alonso was running so slow I think I think the Alpine was running detuned it certainly sounded much quieter than everyone else and it's, it's, uh, trap speeds were well down so I think it was running power unit in a detuned form so it, yeah Max got passed pretty quickly but yeah, it might not have been because of the aerodynamics that's a point Alpine I didn't mention eighth fastest Fernando Alonso one minute 21.746 but yeah certainly the first half of the day the speed trap figures were were no not not just at the back they were off the back so yeah there was clearly something going on there but Gary quite positive yeah quite positive I mean I haven't had the pleasure yet of going out on the track like Mark had so I haven't seen them in, in action but as a general thing looking at the cars coming down up and down the pit lane and going down the pit straight they look more like racing cars than we've seen for quite a few years probably you know knocking on the door of, I don't know, 10, 15 years, to be honest, because we got into that series of the stupid high noses and all the step chassis and step noses and step this. And, you know, these look as though they're connected from front to back. They're, they sort of look more like a racing car. They sound pretty good. The noise is at a reasonable level. You can still have a chat. It's not piercing your ears, but it's still, you know, it's a racing car noise. So, yeah, I think it's a positive step. Again, a bit like Mark says, we need to see if it achieved the objective, which is to have closer racing. Overtaking's never been easy in, in any formula, to be honest. But you need to look at, at the fact of has it has it meant that the cars can race closer together for longer without destroying the tires? And we won't know that till probably Bahrain. But it would be nice if they put together a a couple of hours one day this week. I mean, we're, we're looking at maybe raining on Friday. A couple of hours one day, you know, tomorrow afternoon to say, right, okay, boys, out you go and let's, you know, let's follow each other for a little while. Let's get some information. See, we don't have to pass each other. You don't have to go and drive into the side of somebody, but at least let's pick up some info on the fact, are these cars better to, to follow each other with? And uh, that wouldn't be the wrong thing to do, you know. Um, you could start one of our typical reverse grid races that we keep talking about. So the, whoever's slowest at four o'clock 
starts at the front and whoever's fastest starts at the back. And they try to overtake each other, but with, uh, with care and caution. Um, yeah, it's been very ad hoc. Jody Eginson did say they extended a stint earlier in the day just because they were behind someone. They thought, well, let's just find out what's going on when we're, when we're behind, see what happens when we deploy the DRS when behind. So, yeah, taking opportunities when they come. But, yeah, this is very much day one so it's early impressions here as, as the the three days of the first test advance we'll have a little bit more analysis of the times and long runs and then of course we'll be back for Bahrain as well to talk about those so thanks very much Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes for your insight we're going to let you out on track tomorrow Gary now you've uh, done your technical duties with the car do head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there from Mark Gary Scott Mitchell the rest of the team we've got five of us uh, on the ground here so plenty to read there do check out also on our website the race live hub which covers testing in detail there's loads of stuff in there not just the this is happening this is happening and what tires and what times but we've also got observations from everyone some little tech bits from gary mark put in some trackside observations i found an excuse to put in a 30 year old f1 car into it earlier today which i always like to do so do have a look at that check out also our previous podcasts we've got 10 launched podcasts the last one of those was only just out earlier today which looks at the red bull and also a little bit at the alpha because of course the red bull finally appeared so check that one out as well and also have a look at our youtube channel if video is your thing well we're going to stay with you throughout testing so join us tomorrow for everything you need to know about day two of f1 pre-season testing (laughs) 